As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Too many people are surrounded by people that complain, that are negative, they're focusing on the news, the propaganda that's being pushed out there, and it's basically selling someone else's agenda. So you just need to take control of that and get yourself around people that fire you up and excite you. And then because of that, you become a little bit of an average of that group of people that you're hanging out with. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Jake Harris. Jake is joining us from Tahoe, California. He is a full-time managing partner in a private equity real estate firm and has over $150 million of assets under management. He also has an additional $200 million in the development pipeline. Jake has over 20 years of experience in real estate and construction and investment management. Jake, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thank you. It's awesome to be on the show. It's kind of wintry when we're recording this. I don't know when it actually airs out, but a nice kind of bundled up day. Yeah. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. Jake, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? So like that bio said, I've been professional investor for 20 years. It's kind of spanned a lot of different asset types. You know, launched a book early in 2021 called Catching Knives, a guide to investing in a distressed commercial real estate. I actually felt like there was going to be a little bit more distress in the market post COVID. So while COVID and I wasn't on a flight traveling around doing deals, I hunkered down and wrote a book. I did not anticipate that the government would go print $20 trillion, but so be it. Maybe the music's going to continue to play for a, a lot longer. So I primarily invest in secondary and tertiary markets. I've been focused on the commercial space. And when I say that is there's certain data demographics and analytics that I look at in those markets that I'm betting heavily on. And then I'm a little bit more agnostic to the asset type. I know kind of like you, I do a lot of breadth of different things and people say flattering things like, oh my gosh, look at all these things you're doing. Be like, well, I'm really focused on this market and I'm looking for good deals in this particular market. Specifically, distress allows me a lot greater discount to what that market value is. So heavy value add development 
and kind of distress is where I've made my bones over the last several years. 20 years ago, I was working, doing office remodels for equity office properties, Sam Zell's. I was too young. I didn't really know who Sam Zell was, but I see now that string that's been pulled back. So breadth of a lot of different things, single family, flipped a lot of houses, I don't know, 1,200 homes in 23 states. We assembled some single family rental portfolios that we sold off to the institutionals. And then the last several years, just been really focusing on the secondary tertiary markets and the urban core growth of those. I don't know where to start, so I'm just going to dive in. What asset classes do you buy? So like I said, we do a little bit of everything. We have a ground up hotel. We're breaking ground early next year. It's an opportunity zone deal on the Riverwalk in San Antonio. Hospitality is a relatively new thing to me. It's a combination of looking for value and opportunity. The opportunity zones for the people that do know about it, it's a very favorable way of investing capital gains and deferring those. And then ultimately not having to pay taxes 10 plus years if you hold it and do it right. We have some office buildings. Some of those I just do a modernization on and kind of let the market determine what is the best value for that. Some of them we're converting. So we're doing a historic tax credit deal, bought a historic office building downtown. It's actually right next door to the hotel site. And we're converting that to multifamily. So 63 luxury apartments, have a parking garage, doing some land assemblage, buying industrial land, turning into 100, 150 units an acre, and then either sell those off to some REITs or some apartment builders and some of it we developed. So we're just finishing out an apartment complex in East Austin. So kind of a little bit of the spectrum of commercial real estate. I haven't done industrial per se, like I've never bought that. It's usually been, I'm trying to repurpose it and move it up to kind of a market rate product. So office, multifamily, hospitality, and land. How about retail? I've not done any retail. I built some shopping centers 20 years ago, but I have not owned any retail. It looks like there's some opportunities in that space now because people, when they get little alligator arms and shy away from stuff is where I tend to now say, Hey, there may be some risk adjusted return there. I wish I would have bought a few things in 2020, 2021 when everybody is super scared, but I just haven't done a whole lot in that space. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of deals out there in retail. How do you come across these deals? Because everybody's looking for value add. It's one of those things that there's not one silver bullet magic way of doing that. And and that's part of even I talk about in the book. Sometimes it's building relationships that won't come to fruition for several years. That it's talking with other brokers, networking and communicating. The more specific you can get to what you're looking for, the more it's easy for people and those deals to come back and kind of find you. But there's also a lot of intentionality around that. A lot of my deals and some of the best deals I've done took maybe four, five, six years of just reaching out and pinging the people. Hey, I'm interested in buying this. I get into the nitty gritty. Like I go into all like tax records and then I go and research being the fact that I used to do a lot of distress. We have, and I'd hired some people away from title companies to do research. So we do this all in-house. So we track ownership entities and then start mapping out in a particular market. So San Antonio is where I'm doing a lot of investment. All the metros of Texas, Milwaukee, Cincinnati, but now really heavily in San Antonio. So we'll map out all the ownership groups and it may be a different LLC, but it has like the same address. So what we do is we start mapping out 
here Joe Billionaire has this, this billionaire has these, this has that. And what it does is I call this kind of the mafia rule is you're going to have typically about four or five families that do about 80 or 90% of all the commercial real estate deals in the market. But once you're able to identify where they are, you also determine where they're not. So even though it's a fantastic deal and it may be downtown and the CBD of your market, that group doesn't do hospitality. They don't do retail. They don't do something else. So naturally people would think, oh, that billionaire does all those deals downtown. Why even compete with them? They have better finances and they can just stroke a check whenever it makes sense. By identifying that, we can find the opportunities. Then I think as far as layering in future growth, because let's be honest, as everybody's chasing down all these deals, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make a future projection of what's going to happen in that market. Trailing data is nice to tell you a story, but what's the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years, depending on your investment horizon is more important than what has been happening over the last five or 10. So then I layer in a lot of infrastructure, bond spend dollars, things that are public records, but nobody's tracking out what's the road improvement plans for the city. Well, when the city is putting hundreds of millions or billions of dollars or putting into a new streetcar or putting in a new stadium or putting a new park, those do have returns on investments. So then I start building this kind of systematic way of, I see what everybody owns, maybe the future's heading this direction. And then I start formulating relationships, talking to brokers, talking to some of those property owners and say, I'm interested in buying your building. And what you also find is some of these are outliers. Maybe there's an office building and it's the only one that a family owns in that entire town. They're based in Missouri. They're based somewhere else. And you'd be like, why do they own this office building in downtown Shreveport? And then it's having those conversation pieces reaching out. And now you have the knowledge and data to assess, would they be a seller versus that billionaire in town that already has 10 buildings trying to pick off one of those, it may be a bigger hurdle to achieve. So then I can focus my efforts on maybe that particular building. I do my due diligence. I start doing research. I start assimilating rents and comps for the areas that I'm really, really focused on. So then when an opportunity presents itself, I can move a lot faster than everyone else. Do you find that these families get the jump on deals before you, or do they know something that no one else does? So can you trend their purchases and kind of predict the future? I wish it was that sophisticated. Some of that is, yes, they absolutely get first look at deals. As people that are brokers or the natural owner of who's going to buy that product type, they're going to reach out direct to them first. I worked for a land developer he was a land developer. He built 10,000 homes, sold to Lennar, made three, 400 million, ran Lennar's land division until the mid 2005, 2006. So with that, there was only three people that really were the big movers and shakers in that land market. They would just text each other and they would like horse trade deals because they weren't creating capital events. Hey, here's this, here's that. So there is a certain component of that. And you don't actually know what the price point is because they like to do that kind of horse trading to keep it off the market. But the question was, how can you predict that? 
I think some of their legacy knowledge is also a disadvantage to them because they have 10, 20, 30 years of experience in that market. They're sometimes jaded about what today's pricing is. I know I've been guilty of this, especially when you're buying houses or properties and you bought it for 2 million bucks. And I'll give you an example of this. There was an apartment building that was kind of affordable housing. A broker and developer had owned it. And I think he sold it for 2 million or two and a half million. And then when it came back out on the market, it was like 5 million. And he was like, ah, that's ridiculous. $5 million. I remember when it was two five and it was not that long ago, but you actually looked at it and it was like 85 apartments in a 10 story building in downtown. And it was $50,000 a unit and everything else in the market was trading for 150. But to him, it was no way because of his legacy knowledge. When I looked at it and sometimes being an outsider is what is the actual cost? I can't go build something for $50 a square foot. Nothing. I can't build anything. So when that's the price, it's, Ooh, I'm interested. Let me go figure that out. Is there maybe shadow inventory? Maybe they know something that I don't know, but as I'm also finding these secondary and tertiary markets are not as competitive as say California or the East coast or where you have 50 people, Austin right now, you're going to have 50 people submitting offers on every deal, irregardless if it's on the market or off the market, difficult. And then if something sat on the market for three months or six months, you should be actually be concerned. But if you're focusing on smaller cities or markets that you know pretty well, but nobody else does deals can sit on the market and be fantastic deals and sit there for six months or a year. It's just hard to determine that from the outset without knowing your specific market. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Secondary and tertiary markets, that must have done really well for you post-COVID because everybody's moving out of city centers into these markets, wanting more land, cheaper housing. To a certain extent, but office has also been a little bit of a headwind. A lot of people were working remotely. And I say secondary tertiary, that also has a loose, ambiguous term. It'll be like, 
I've been asked that before. Like, what do you call a tertiary market? And I was like, eh, is Boise a tertiary market? I'd say, yeah, probably. They have a, a much lower population. San Antonio, I actually treat a little bit like a tertiary market, but it's got 1.5 million people. It's the seventh largest city in the United States. You'd be like, it's going to pass Philadelphia in size. But to your point, it's so spread out that there's so many different pockets of opportunity and it's not the same density of people. So there have been some great opportunities since COVID and some of those markets have recovered much better. I think also what COVID has done is really extrapolated the fact of California, the West Coast has been just doing a fantastic job of driving people out of California, Portland, Seattle, and it's a net beneficiary of the Boise, Salt Lake, Phoenix, and Texas. So right now we see a lot of office buildings that the banks are starting to take over. They're going to auction. People are just losing them. What are your thoughts on that? My thought is there should be some great deals in the foreseeable future for office space. Yeah, I think 2022 is where we're going to start seeing those. Obviously, the papered over with the PPP money or whatever version of alphabet of government throwing money out the window is, it did kick that can down the road. But to your point, yes, absolutely. I think there's going to be some deals. We're starting to sign new leases. We're starting to have people come back. We've signed some retail leases. And I say that you asked if I have retail earlier. Usually it's in a mixed year component, like the mm -hmm. street level retail of the office building, Buffalo Wild Wings on a net lease kind of thing. But depending on those market drivers, you could pick up some good deals. Like you said, at 50 bucks a square foot. And then can you go put 30 into a TI and be all in at 80? And then the rest of the market is trading at, 150 or 200 or $300 a square foot. So I like that. And I'll tell you a little bit where I like historic buildings built in the late 1800s, early 1900s. They have like a cool character to them, a cool facade. They're limestone or terracotta or something pretty cool on the facade. But they've actually, for the last, call it 60 years, everything has been focused on the car. And because it's been such a car-centric focus on the zoning and municipalities, is those buildings have been functionally obsolescent because they didn't have the four parking spots per 1,000 of rentable. But now with Uber and scooters and technology is building that, is those buildings are becoming more valuable. And I think there's an opportunity to buy some of those, like you said, at a discount because you don't need the parking. You don't need the same parking. And then if you can open up and remove the 80s or 90s out of some of these office buildings and then have open ceilings and exposed brickwork, those were signing pretty good leases because it's unique and it's special and you can't get it from the other office building. And we can also be at a discount under market rents. How you structure those leases I think is gonna matter. Everybody wants that office tenant that signs a 10-year lease. If you're willing to maybe accept lower, do some different co-working, put together a coffee shop and make sure that's in the lobby. Maybe you open up a coffee shop that helps that retail and helps some of the leasing. Some of those things, I think there's going to be some fantastic opportunities here coming in 2022. Jake, back to what you said earlier about all these systems you put in place, the data that you go through. 
somebody starting out in real estate, or maybe that has a couple of years of experience, how can they find value add deals? They don't have the team of people access to all this data. Well, like you said, the first thing that people should do is determine their investment criteria. So they want value add deals. Walk through that is what interests them about that. You can start doing your homework before those deals and then go to meetups, go meet a local brokers community, real estate investors thing. And then the more specific that you have, this is what I'm looking for. Meet attorneys. Real estate attorneys are fantastic. I've got some really, really great deals from real estate attorneys because we built a relationship and they did a little bit of work for me. Some of them just knew of me. I didn't even actually had ever done any work with them and they handed me off a deal. You're looking for this market. Oh my gosh, I just saw this. I'm representing a family that wants to get rid of that. Can we put something together? Getting very clear on what you want puts that out into the world. And then for someone looking to do these deals that doesn't maybe aggregate the data like I do is just by being in that market and communicating it, you'll find that like buying a new car, you go buy a new Toyota, all of a sudden you drive around and you see the 50 Toyotas everywhere around. I think when you start creating that, this is what I'm interested in, you'll see when those opportunities present themselves as opposed to, I want to do a cool deal. And then you're just so blinded by so many opportunities and the ocean of information that's available. I would say that's a good place to start getting specific on what you want. Just get out there, network, and just put the work in. How else are you finding deals besides compiling data, the very specific items that you mentioned earlier? We're building some of them. We create as far as, well, maybe we find the land again. Maybe I just missed that window or not smart enough to figure out how to do some of these multifamily that it just kind of started snowballing and you're like, I'm going to go buy it at a four and a half cap and then paint carpet, clean it and add the rents 50 bucks. And then I'm going to sell it at a four cap. To me, it seems way too risky to do that. And I'm not saying that people can't be successful doing it because I have a lot of friends that do it and they are successful. But when I look at this, part of that comes from my own experience of losing my ass in 2007, 2008, being in that subprime and watching my portfolio go down by, well, I was in Phoenix, so it went down like 80%. I was sitting down on the street corner in Tucson, like, dear Lord, can I be worth no money? That would be awesome. Just to start over. Can I just do that? So I still have a little bit of that in the back of my head. And some of these people that got in the market, they've only seen up. They're like, I got in in 2014 and in 2013 and be like, well, yeah, it's awesome when it's only gone up. What happens when it curves over? What happens when the market takes a little bit of a dip and steps back? So we're building deals or heavy value add. And so like building is I can go out and I can go build something to a six and a half cap. Don't be like, I can build an apartment and that makes sense. And development makes sense because of my background of construction. I'm not saying that everybody, that's the place that they need to jump into, but everything about this is your limitations are absolutely your mindset. All limitations that exist are in your own mind. And I'll tell you a perfect example of this is, and I do aspire to build a high rise at one point. I went down and 20 years ago, I got interviewed to do leasing for industrial centers. And I told them I came in and I was like, I want to build a sky rise. And they're like, what are you doing in this interview? 
Okay, cool. Neat kid. Get out. I knew nothing about real estate or hardly anything, but I told them I wanted to build a sky rise. I went to grad school down in Miami and got a degree in international real estate and finance. And at that point I'd had maybe 12 years of experience. And I was like, at some point I'm going to build this high rise as a skyscraper. And they brought in this person that had just finished building this high rise, 40 story, 50 story kind of condo project. And I sat down and I was talking to him afterwards and I was like, what'd you do? Like you had a lot of experience, did a lot of market study. You dug into the data, you did a pro forma, built it out. He's like, no, I came to this country two years ago with $11 in my pocket. I went out and I bought land for whatever it was listed for on the market. And then I hired the contractor that was building the one down the street and the architects, the same one. And I just said, Hey, can you build one of those over here? What's the price? And they said, it's $50 million. And he was like, great, let's do it. Took that and then just listed it the condos for more than the price of the land and the cost to build it and do those other things. And then sold out the entire thing and built the sky rise. So the first real estate deal he ever did at 28 years old with no credit, no experience, no money, no anything was the high rise. The thing that I was aspiring to do to the pinnacle of my career. And he just showed up and did it and sold out and made $20 million profit. I think subsequently he may have lost in another deal, but I was like action and those limiting beliefs has been my biggest holdback to me. And I think that is a very, very apt to all the listeners out there is where are you holding yourselves back when you think that I need 20 more years or do a thousand more units or whatever. So the sooner that you can realize that all limitations are your own limitation, the first step of actually going out and achieving those dreams. I love that story. Jake, what are you doing to overcome some of your mindset, not issues, but just your mindset? How do you get over that? How do you improve that? It's like you said a little bit earlier, networking, being around other people. I'm in a mastermind group that has a lot of people that are quite successful, different walks of life. That mastermind group is Go Abundance. And it's just that there's abundance in all these different pillars of life. So where you may be crushing it and work, but what if your relationships suck? What if you're overweight? What if you're struggling with your health? What if you're all these other things? So it doesn't matter if you're just successful in one area of life. I believe being kind of a whole life millionaire in every single aspect, and it's not necessarily about how much money you make, but how can you do that and create this bigger impact in every single facet? So being around other people, that are thinking and doing those other things, crushing it in these other areas where this guy is awesome at fitness. And he's like, how many days can we go out and hike? How many days can we go out and go skiing or other things? And then what happens is by osmosis, he's not peer pressuring me and say, Hey Jake, you need to work out more or lose more weight. But just being around those people, you just become part of that. So finding that group and those, those tribes of people that inspires you, I think too many people are surrounded by people that complain, that are negative, they're focusing on the news, the propaganda that's being pushed out there, and it's basically selling someone else's agenda. So you just need to take control of that and get yourself around people that fire you up and excite you. And then because of that, you become a little bit of an average of that group of people that you're hanging out with. So absolutely, that's been huge for me. And then I'd say books. Books are another way of those being mentors or being like other people is picking up those little nuggets. I wish I'd discovered that sooner. It took me getting kicked in the teeth and 
sitting on the street corner crying and asking to be worth no money to actually unlock that next level. But books are by far and away one of the biggest components of leverage that you can instill in your life. So I think leveraging money from the financial sense of a bank, leveraging other people's network and ability and people working with other people, but then leveraging other people's knowledge is a huge, huge level up. So I think leverage is probably the number one thing that you can do to get to those next levels in life. I love that. With me, I learned this mindset thing later in life. I was the guy who always helped other people change their mindset. And for whatever reason, I never followed all the advice that I would give other people. Were you in the same boat? You came into this later in life? Yeah, I was lone wolves, solo, yeah. just same thing. Like I actually remember the first book for me that kind of unlocked all of this was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read that when I was in the army and I was like, oh, wow, that's what I want to do. And it's not like it's revolutionary information, but it's just that light bulb moment. I actually would hang out with Robert Kiyosaki and go to some of his things in Phoenix and Scottsdale when he was down there. And then they would say things like, don't buy properties that have negative cash flow. And like the market was taking off like a rocket ship. And I was like, ah, eh, what do they know? Like, ah, these old curmudgeon guys, I'm so much smarter than them. So exactly as your point, I feel like that was the best thing that ever happened to me was getting humiliated, humbled in every single aspect of my life. And that caused exactly as you said, a shift to say, wow, I need to reverse engineer all of this. I need to be a lot more introspective on my life. And is this the way that I want to live? And then I would say turbocharging that for me was when I found out I was going to be a dad. So my wife was going off to work. She's a NICU nurse and she was going to work graveyard and she said, Hey, I'm pregnant. I took one, two, three, five tests. Like they're all pregnant. And to me, I don't know if you've seen that movie limitless. Yeah. With Bradley Cooper. It felt like I had one of those moments. <laughs> like I took that NZT pill kind of thing. I was sitting there at the kitchen table and I played out all the permutations and possibilities of my life. And I was disappointed in myself because I had all this potential that I was like, I could do this. I could do this. And I probably would have been comfortable on that path, but it was like, no, for my kids, I now have three kids, but I was like, at the time for being a parent and what I want for this kid is I want to live up to that potential and go do that through action and then just started doing that. And so it was not until my mid thirties kind of thing that it really started kicking into high gear. And I feel like it's a journey. I'm always learning. I just actually got back from a conference this whole weekend where it was focused on health, doing blood work and pulling up things to start actually measuring out. You think you're doing the right thing, but are you really, are you actually tracking that? So instilling those things into my kids became very, very important for me. And I think just because, although my mom says I'm a special, unique snowflake, I think the reality is, is I'm much more average. And there's a lot of other people that want these same things out of life than what I want. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe. J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow-up boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. She called you a snowflake? I don't think it was at the time oh, of the okay. like the, the, the beautiful the, snowflake. Beautiful as in Got unique okay. and like very thin like that. <laughs> Not as like in precious and gonna fall down. But no, yeah. I use that because my mom loves me. Almost like you could almost do no wrong. I think with my boys and my kids to my daughter to I was like, actually now that I think about it, my wife I think they could do wrong with her. I don't know. Maybe my mom was just overly loving that didn't matter what I did. She still loved me. But my dad was the kind of the hard ass, do the punishment and stuff. So I, I kind of translate that. You need both of it. You need the duality of life, both loving and accountability. Yeah. And again, I think it's so important that everybody takes steps to improve their mindset. And often success will mask the fact that you need to improve your mindset because if things are going well, you pat yourself on the back, your ego's through the roof. You're thinking, man, I'm killing it. But in reality, everybody has room to improve their mindset. Great conversation. And I would say the one other thing to that is by being around and surrounding yourself with a group like that, that's willing to hold you accountable. 
like you said, you go and you have accolades and you get awards or trophies or make more money. You do those other things that may be, and you're successful in 80% of your life. But when you're with a group that has some authenticity and says, what about this? You said you were going to take your mom out to dinner. You said you were going to do these other things. Did you do that? Does it actually have any effect on them, whether you did that or not? But to that point, it's just helping keep those next levels of those things that maybe you wanted to not talk about. You didn't want to necessarily, and I'm really awesome at coming up with excuses for myself, <laughs> having other people around there that would be like, hey, Jake, you said you were going to do that. Did you do it? And then I was like, I think that's just enough for me, knowing that someone else could call me out on that, that I'll do it for all of that 95% or 98% of things. I'll follow through, whereas maybe my natural inclination would be only 80% of it. So Jake, how do you stay on task? How do you achieve things? How do you hold yourself accountable? I think there's certain things that naturally I do pretty well. My MO is being the fact that I was kind of this entrepreneur and lone wolf. And I think there's people that just have that. So I have a pretty high level of that in existence because I just have this clock and inner dialogue. Like I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. There's a balancing of that. And I think what it was, again, being a parent, Ed Milet mentioned this at one time. He said he believes that God put us on this planet. And when you go to heaven or at the end of your life, you get to see your potential. This is the version of you if you'd done everything as the gifts I've given you. And what his goal was is to be the mirror image of that, living up to the full potential and all the blessings and all the things that he had been given, he lived up to that potential. So I think that comes back to your question about how that mindset shift was, when's enough enough? It's never, it's an uphill journey the entire way. There is no coast like, oh, I'm going to make it 65 and I get a coast downhill. I make it to a million, I make it a thing, then I get a coast. So when you actually get rid of the fact that there's going to be an easier time down in the future and picture this, and I think Ryan Holiday's Ego as the Enemy is a good book for this, is you're just going to continue to level up and the mountain goes forever until you die. And then when you die, you get to look back and did you keep making year over year over year progress or did you stop on that mountain and start making a yearly progress and just keep looping around and around at that same level? So those systems I put in place, again, hiring awesome people, being around accountability kind of groups. Again, I just have this internal motivation and I look at, is this the path that I want to lead to my kids? I can't live my kid's life. I know there's some helicopter parents that try to live their lives vicariously through their kids. Some of them try to force them, but the reality is I'm just going to be in the front row of there. I'm going to cheer them. I'm going to help coach them. I'm going to try to put them in the right situations but they're the ones that have to live their own life. Everyone has to live their own life. And even siblings and other people end up going down different paths. I don't know what that is for them, but I'm going to try to instill that. And so when that system is being challenged, life's not fair. The sooner you learn that life's an uphill battle the entire way. There is no easy coasting point. And then just preparing for that for a long journey. I think from your question about mindset, those are the things that have unlocked my happiness. I'm not disappointed that things are hard. I just anticipate that everything's going to be hard so I can sleep better at night when I go doing that, knowing that this is the path that I've chosen. 
What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Action. Do shit. Just go do it. <laughs> Literally, I don't care what it is you're debating and thinking about doing it is you're going to learn more, even if it's losing money, than you would go and try to read it out of the book or taking another course or doing anything. Go do are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. Let's Hold do on. it. Jake, what's the best ever book you recently read? Ooh, I read a lot of books. The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. And I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. As entrepreneurs, as people that are trying to achieve and do better, we're always focused on the last little bit. I want to get to 30. I get to 25. I'm focused on why didn't I get those last 5%. Focus on the 25. You started at zero. You made it to 25. That's going to put a position of better gratitude in your life. Jake, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I send videos every morning. I typically send two to three videos to people while I'm finishing up my workout. I'll just do my little iPhone and send a video message to them. I'm thinking about them, whatever it is, something funny just popped in my head. So I think that because I appreciate that. And then secondarily is really thoughtful gifts. Like it may take me sometimes a year, but when it's random and I'll send people random stuff at random times, just because I was thinking of them. I love that. I would love to get a video message and I would love to send one to somebody that I'm thinking about and make their day. Yeah. You have no idea. Maybe they're going through something. Maybe yeah. that's an answer to a prayer. Maybe they're like, is anybody out there part of the thing? And we all have ups and downs and maybe just seeing your face say, Hey, I love you, man. I really appreciate hanging out. It's been too long. We haven't had dinner or drinks or whatever. And just thinking of you kick butt. I'm going to start doing that. Thank you for that. And Jake, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? So catch knives.com is probably where most of the content for the book, Instagram, jake.realestate is where I'm most active. I know some of my team put some other things via the Facebook and other places, but those are the two main places you can sign up for, get the blog or newsletter stuff. We also are going to be releasing some other elements of a podcast specifically around contrarian investing. So that catchknives.com is probably the single point that's going to give people the best access. Jake, I got to thank you for your time today. We touched on a lot of different things, finding distressed real estate, mindset, just living a better life. Great conversation. So thank you for that. Awesome. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you. I know, like I said, it's recording here during the holidays and so away from your family. And then whenever this does come out in air, and I think it's going to maybe come out in 2022, but man, get excited people out there. It is an amazing, abundant time to be investing. And I really appreciate what the best ever show is putting out there and how you guys are hosting it. And I really, really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you again. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. Have a best ever day.